you feel like God did something in your life or began something in your life or in your heart, raise it straight up if that's you. Awesome. So this message is for you. Now, if you didn't, this message is also for you. So really, it's for everybody. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read in verse 3. Now, this is Jesus speaking, and he says this. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed, and some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, with which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still, some other seed fell on good soil. It came up and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears... Let them hear. Now I want to skip to verse 14. And this is where Jesus now begins, because his disciples are confused on what he just said. They're like, Jesus, what does this really mean? And Jesus says, okay, you guys, you guys really need me to explain this. Here you go. The farmer sows the word. Everyone say the word. Everyone say the seed is the word. Say the word is the seed. Just waking you up. Say, the seed is the word, is the seed. The, seed the, sar- the, foes the, lured. the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word or because of what God is doing, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth or success. The desires for other things come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Still others like seed sown on good soil hear the word and accept it. Everyone say accept. They accept it, producing a crop some 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. I want to speak on the, the idea tonight. The devil has perfect timing. The devil has perfect timing. Timing. So if you're taking the notes, you can write, the devil has perfect timing. Or if you like better titles, you can title this, Get Ready for the Blowout. Get ready for the blowout. Let's pray and ask God to speak. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for camp. Thank you for what you did. But God, tonight we acknowledge that just as much there, as there is a good God, there's also an enemy who wants to choke out what that good God is doing. We acknowledge that, but we're not afraid because we know that you are greater than the enemy. God, your goodness is greater than our failure. It's greater than any temptation. So let us leave tonight not focused on ourselves, but focused on what you are in us, what you're doing and who you are, how much you love us. Let us be changed from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Um, As you guys know, I have two kids. I have Hayden, who will be four next week which is just crazy, and it feels just like yesterday we were announcing to, to you guys here that we were pregnant with her, and now she's almost four, which is just crazy, and then 
Jude, who is uh, almost 16 months. And so um, I, the thing about having kids, though, that you will someday understand is that kids have the best, worst timing ever. They are just, it's the worst. Like, there was a season with Hayden where when we, we could change her diaper, I mean, seconds before getting into the car. And it could be full of God knows what was in there. It was just full. And it was, it was gnarly. It was rancid. It was amazing. And we would change it confident that the moment we changed her, she'd be good for the short car ride. It did not matter how long, though, the car ride was. It could be a ride down the block two minutes away. It did not matter. The moment she sat in the car seat, she had the most massive blowout. Time and time again, we're talking to the point where we literally had to, we had to oxy-clean her clothes. We had to take apart the car seat. We had to wash that, and we had to wait hours to leave the house because she destroyed this thing. I'm talking poop up her neck, poop down her legs, poop in her hands, poop on her stomach, poop all over everywhere. And I'm just preparing you for parenthood. It did not matter. There were times where we would literally be in the car. We'd, we'd put her in the car, and we'd think, should we change her one more time? And we'd be like, you know what, let's do it. We'd change her, there'd be a little bit in there. We'd, we'd, we'd change the diaper, do all the things, and, and we'd be like, okay, now, this time, we're confident that she's got everything out of her system, and so we can drive somewhere knowing that we don't have to worry is she going to have a blowout. And it did not matter the moment we got out of the neighborhood. All of the sudden, you hear and feel a rumble in the car, and suddenly the car is shaking with what she did. And we're talking, and, and it is... Do you want me to do it again? It made that noise, and any parents here understand. There's about three of them, but you understand that is what happens. I mean, and it did not matter the timing. Didn't matter the time of day. Didn't matter when she had been changed. It was just poetic. We put her in the car seat, and we leave, we leave the neighborhood, and suddenly... But it doesn't stop there because she, she's potty trained now, but now it's just with messes. Like the, uh, the, the other week where, where I, cl- and I'm kind of anal about the house being clean, the kitchen in particular, and Noelle's patient, I'm not. So if Hayden spills or if Jude spills, I will keep them where they are and I will clean under their feet before we do anything else. I'm just uptight about it. And Noelle's like, let's do it when we put them to bed. And I, I'm just, I'm more, I just need to get it done in that moment. So we have dinner, we clean up dinner, the kitchen is spotless, downstairs is good, and we're getting, you know, we're getting ready to transition into nighttime, and, and Noelle's upstairs doing something, and I go into the other room, and suddenly, it, within about three minutes, Hayden manages to pull everything out of our, uh, our pantry, all of these old things, and she starts mixing things together, making what she calls soup. And this is no soup you ever want to taste. This stuff is nasty. We're talking like old, you know, 2009 garbanzo beans or something. <laughs> We're talking every spice that we have in our spice cabinet. We're talking milk. We're talking water, tomato soup, you name it. She is emptying it into this bowl and stirring it up, making pretend soup. That Then she wants us to taste. 
And this stuff is, I mean, I'm talking, this is nasty. But the worst thing about it is it's always right after I clean. She destroyed the whole kitchen. And we're, we've got like smoked paprika all over the front of our white cabinets. It is the worst. And it's funny because it's never before I clean. It's as if she says, Dad, it's already messy, so I'm going to be clean right now. But the moment that it's clean, she says, it's time for me to do my best work. I'm going to destroy this place, and you're going to love it. Because you can't do anything about it, because you're my dad, and it's what I do. It's funny, the timing of kids, when they like to destroy things, it's always at the worst moment. It's fascinating, because the enemy works the same way. Haven't you noticed that every time God starts to do something in your life, something comes in to disrupt what he's doing? It's like every time you go to camp, the moment, I mean, I'm talking, you don't even have to wait hours. You can get into the van ride home, or you turn on the TV that evening, or whatever it might be, and the temptation, the division, the relationship conflict, the conversation, whatever it is, it comes in and tries to thwart what God just spent the whole week doing, or what he spent that night, or what he spent that moment doing. And every time that God does something, the enemy likes to come in and disrupt what God is doing because he's afraid of what might happen if that seed that is planted actually takes root and produces fruit. See, the enemy isn't afraid of somebody who's just got a bunch of seeds. He's afraid of the, the, the fruit that might come as a result of those seeds. Many of you just raised your hand, if not all of you raised your hand saying, God did something in me this summer. God did something in me at camp. God planted something and God spoke something to me, gave me a vision, gave me an idea, uh, put something in my heart, redeemed me, uh, gave me a new start. Most of us raised our hand and said, God did that. Can I tell you, the, God did that and the enemy knows that God did that and the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to destroy the seed that God planted. Let it encourage you. Every time something tries to thwart what is going on in your life, you can take it as a sign that God is doing something and the enemy is afraid of it. Every time you commit yourself to God, you will get an opportunity to go back to your old ways. Every time you give your life to God, you will have an opportunity or an invitation into the old you, into the old self, into the old ways, into the old patterns. And it is no mistake, it's the enemy trying to destroy what God started. Raise your hand again if you'd say, God did something to me at camp. Here's what you need to understand. If you just raised your hand, you can know, you probably already have felt it or seen it. And you will know that continually, the enemy will try and disrupt what God has started. He's always trying to do it. Relationship conflict. I mean, there, there were times where I would get home from camp as a teenager. And I'd get into the car and my parents would say, so how was camp? Good. I, even in those moments, the enemy was trying to keep me from sharing what God had done. Because he wanted to keep it at camp. He wanted to keep it at camp because he was afraid of what might happen if I watered the seed that God had planted. If I allowed there to be some consistency that kept this thing going, he was afraid of what might happen as a result of it. So God moves and then your friend hurts you. Or temptation comes, out. isn't it funny? Like you commit yourself to purity and I mean you don't do any 
any help for yourself by staying up till 3 a.m., but then the temptation comes in a way that you've never experienced it before. Isn't it funny that the moment you commit is the moment you start to feel the pressure? God moves, and then your, friend, your friends invite you to that party that you swore away. You said, I'm done with that done with that thing, I'm done going that direction, I'm done with that type of person, and I'm not saying I don't love them anymore, but I'm distancing myself. We've had so many conversations with this, I mean, already since camp. So many people saying, well, I I, I don't want that anymore, but I don't want to have to distance myself from the people that do that anymore. And you're setting yourself up for failure by continuing to surround yourself with the people doing the thing that you said you don't want to do anymore. The best thing you can do is go the opposite direction and say, I'm compelling you guys to follow me in a better direction. Best way you can love your friends is go the different direction and give them a reason to live. Or God moves and then your faith gets tested. Or your dad loses his job. Or last year it was someone got into the car ride home and their parents in those moments said, we're getting a divorce. God moves, it's amazing, and then immediately an opportunity for discouragement, an opportunity to give it up, an opportunity to go back the other way. And this is a sign, listen, this is a sign that God is working in your life and the enemy is looking for ways to take you out. He wants to steal the seed, wants to steal the word. This is no accident. Because the enemy is afraid of growth in you. He's not afraid of a seed. He's afraid of consistency, watering the seed and seeing fruit come of it. How many of you want to see fruit in your life? How many of you want to see God do something in your life this year? How many of you, like, keep your hand up. If you want this year to be different than last year, then guess what? There's a seed that's been planted in you, and the enemy is coming for it. Every time I plant grass seed, and every time I, I, I'll, like, I'll, I'll till the soil, I'll put the seed in, I'll put the peat moss over it, I'll water it. Every time, it's like I'll go inside and I can watch like clockwork. The birds start to come and try and eat the seed. They try and get it out of the ground because they want it. And the enemy wants to take your seed. See, your seed is one thing, but the fruit that could come of it, oh man, that's a, that's a whole another level. You haven't seen nothing yet. If you felt like God moved at camp, get ready for what he's about to do in your life, but get ready for temptation. Get ready for discouragement to try and take you out. Get ready for disillusionment. Get ready for some things to come your way that will try and get you to go backwards because he's afraid of what you doing forwards is going to mean in your life. Always try and take you out. Says as soon as they hear it, Satan comes to take away the word that was sown. That word in the in the original language, as soon, means immediately, without any wasted time. Immediately, without any wasted time. Because he's afraid of what time in the word might do. Like, I remember. Every time I would try and give myself to the word of God, every time I would try and get into my devotions, all that kind of stuff, I'd feel this energy that would come from one time. Like, you ever done that? You ever made a change in your life? You ever been that person who, like, decides to eat healthy, and you start eating healthy for a day, and you start judging everybody else who doesn't eat as healthy as you (laughs) in that one day? You know what I'm talking about? Me neither. Um, 
But it's so funny because every time I do it, I feel this momentum. But the real momentum comes when I do it another day, and then another day, and then another day, and then I start to feel not just the good feeling of it, but I'm starting to feel the change in my body and feel the change in my energy and feel the change in my perspective and in, in my and in my tiredness or in my awakeness, I start to feel the change because the real change comes as a result of consistency. Not just one time. Like, guess what? Camp will not sustain you till camp. Wednesday will not even sustain you till Wednesday. God has designed spiritual life to be something that in, in a moment like this, in an atmosphere like this, that God plants something, God stirs something, he gives you a catalyst that will, that will move you forward, but he does so with the need for you to wake up the next morning and continue what he did last night. Like, guess, like God is going to move in some of your lives tonight, even in the next few minutes. God's going to touch you, God's going to change you, he's going to plant something in you, but guess what? It continues tomorrow morning. And tomorrow afternoon, and next week, and next month, and every single day of your entire life, God did not want to do something once and for all and let it just do the work on its own. It requires us saying, God, daily I will follow you. Daily I will take up my cross. Daily I will come after you. Daily I will give myself to the word. Daily I will pray. Daily I will talk to you. God, daily I will cry out to you when I need help, when I need encouragement. God, daily I will lean into you. Daily I will engage in community because daily I need your touch. We cannot do this without God. So God creates this to where it's a moment, but God wants to do it every single day. If you wait until next week, you're missing an opportunity. It's not, we're not here to judge you, not here to make you feel bad, but you're missing an opportunity to live every day living on the word of God, interacting with God, following Jesus, knowing his goodness in every single moment. Are you with me tonight? Kind of quiet in here. Are you with me tonight? See, the enemy doesn't wait because he's afraid of what a little bit of water can do. You know, Birds don't often eat my grass. I, was it weird? I don't know. Okay, just, we're going to move on. Birds don't eat my grass. They eat the seed before the grass comes. They eat the seed when it's planted. The grass was once seed. And the enemy's going to have a lot harder time eating your fruit than he will eating your seed. See, it's easy for a bird to eat seed. It's a lot harder for a bird to eat fruit. It's a lot harder for the enemy to take you out after a season of consistency, developing your life in the word of God, walking with Jesus, living in community, following Jesus with other people, spending repetitive time away from the things that brought you down and leaning into the things of God. It's a lot harder for the enemy to disrupt momentum in your life. But it's easy for him to disrupt the seed. He'll take the seed. Some of you feel like camp did it for you. Camp didn't do it for you. It started it in you. But what you've got to do is you've got to water it every single day. And the enemy, he's going to throw stuff at you. I'm going to give you four things that he throws at you. You can call it the four D's of the devil. I know it's cheesy. They all start with D, so deal with it. That's the fifth D. Deal with it. <laughs> I'm good tonight. The, the four D's of the, come on, that's good. 
Thank you. The four D's of the devil, right? <laughs> Whatever. I don't care what you guys think. The four D's of the devil. Well, number one, he's going to take the seed with distraction. The first D is distraction. He will take your seed with distraction. Distraction's the worst. I hate it. It's like I, every time, man, I would come home from camp ready to like, ready to see God do incredible stuff. And God spoke it to me. I mean, I, I, I've sat in seats right where you're at. Um, I've been going even to the same facility that we were at this year, although it was not anywhere near as nice as it is now. But since I was a teenager in high school, I was 14, I think, the first time we went to Cascades. And I remember sitting in those rooms, God speaking to me. I remember the speakers. I remember the messages. I remember Susie Preston talking about how you got to choose to be chosen. I remember the... I remember all these different words. I remember prophetic words spoken over me. I remember things that people encouraged me in. I remember visions that God gave me as I'm sitting there in worship and glimpses of what God would do in me in the future. And I remember I'd come home so ignited and so ready. And then the moment that I'd get home, there's something that is trying to woo my attention away. Isn't it funny how the moment we commit to doing relationships right, an opportunity for a subpar relationship comes in, a subpar friendship. Not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the person is subpar, but the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And so often what we do is we, we, we get this momentum, and then, we, and then maybe even another person's got momentum, and we're like, oh, this is my ticket. And the enemy's like, exactly, take it, it's great. And God is like, no, get momentum. You'll be unstoppable in a few months. Give yourself some time to lean into the things of God because the moment that the right thing comes in the right time, it will be incredible, life-giving, and fulfilling. But the right thing at the wrong time can actually take you out. I don't want to get taken out. I don't want to be, I don't want, I don't want to get distracted. And we've got to understand that when those distractions come, it's because the enemy's afraid of what God could do in your life if you give him consistency. This isn't about what you need to avoid. It's about what God wants to do. Every single human being in this room, whether you are at camp or not, God has a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for your life. He has good things in your future. And the enemy does too. He's got a plan. And he's trying to thwart God's. That's his whole thing. He wants to derail what God wants to do in your life. So understand it, but don't be afraid. Give yourself to the things that will keep you from being distracted. And when you get distracted, you know what you do? You ever been distracted driving? And you, all of a sudden you realize, I'm distracted. What do you do? Focus. Don't pull over and say, I'm distracted. I can't drive anymore. <laughs> no, keep driving. Get your eyes back on the road. Refocus. Some of us, we've gotten distracted, and then that distraction derails us. And the enemy was like, wow, man, like, that wasn't even that good of an attempt, and you took it. You took the bait, bro. Like, <laughs> like I was bored, and I tried that one. Like, hey, let's see what happens. And we give him so much credit. It's like, if you've been distracted, even in the last nine days, get over it. Keep driving, because God still is pulling you forward. God still has more he wants to do. 
God is not done with you. No, he has not given up on you. If you've given in to distraction, guess what? God is still good. He's still new. Every single day, he's doing new things in your life, and he's not done working in you. So keep driving. Get back on the road. Focus on where God's taking you, and stop giving so much credit to the things that are on your right and your left. Keep moving forward. Amen? Amen. Number two, the second D of the devil. He takes the seed with disillusionment. That word disillusionment means disappointment due to discovering that something might not be as good as you thought it would be. I'll say it again. Disillusionment is the disappointment due to discovering that something may not be as good as you thought it might be. See, here's what the enemy will do. He will trick you into thinking that a moment will last forever so that he can get you delusion, disillusioned when you realize it's not. I'll say that again. The enemy wants to trick you into thinking that a moment like camp or a Wednesday or in church or a God moment, he wants to trick you into thinking that that will last forever so that when it doesn't, you become disillusioned. You become derailed. I'm here to tell you that camp will not last forever. I'm here to tell you if you go to the mission trip to the Dream Center this April with us, the feeling of what you experience will not last forever. I'm here to tell you that if God changes your life forever tonight, that feeling will not last forever. If you have an encounter with God in worship, that feeling will not last forever. If you have a prayer moment where you feel like God speaks to you for the first time, that feeling will not last forever. If you have a moment where you just feel like God has now realigned your life with the things of God and you're moving forward, that feeling will not last forever. Because you'll come home to reality. Like some of you, you'll go home tonight to a reality that is different than the atmosphere created here. And it's a bummer. It's hard. I wish, like some of you think, well, okay, Noelle sings. She's a worship leader. She doesn't sing to me at home. And I ask her to worship for me. She doesn't do it. She doesn't play the piano and wake me up in the morning just, you know, worshiping to the Lord. And I wake up saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen. Now, if it did, I, it might creep me out. I don't know. We could try it tomorrow morning, see how it goes. What do you think? The, the camp atmosphere. <laughs> Sophie's like, cut it. No more, Taylor. This is weird. But the camp atmosphere will fade, and the camp high will fade, and the camp worship will not follow you to your bedroom. But the same Holy Spirit that was in the atmosphere, he lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that encountered you is in your classroom. Like, the same Holy Spirit that was in the worship at camp can be in your worship on your bus ride with your headphones in where you decide to start your day just giving it to God instead of pumping your ears with things that don't lift your spirit, pumping your ears with things that were, you're saying, okay, God, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. So as I enter school, God, I'm gonna know who I am. I know my identity. So if I find a temptation, if somebody comes at me and discourage me, I know who I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And when we listen to this, when we fill ourselves with it, what does it do? It reminds us 
that though the feeling may have changed, the truth is still the truth. God still has a plan for you. God is still working in your life. God is not done working. God still sees you as his child who has purpose on your life. Are you with me tonight? So what we do is we remind ourselves of what God says, what's true. We fight disillusionment with a choice. It's a choice to believe that what God starts, he completes. Can I, let me encourage you with that. Some of you, you have a daunting journey ahead of you. Some of you, you got friends who've got a daunting journey ahead of them. If that's you, clench your fist because I want to remind you that Philippians 1.6 says this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He who began a good work in you, he's not going to quit on you. So if you're breathing, guess what? God's still working in your life. God will not give up on you. He will complete it. So what we do, we remind ourselves of it. God, you're still working. God, you're still working. God, even though I slipped up yesterday, today is a new day. Your mercies are new today. Every single day I get up and I remind myself that though a righteous man falls seven times, seven times he gets back up because he knows where he stands with God. God, today I'm messed up, but I stand right with you because you who knew no sin became sin so that in you I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. What are we doing? We're reminding ourselves of what God says so that we don't get disheartened when we don't see the fruit in a moment. The seed is still there. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit who met you at camp, is the same spirit who's in this room right now, is the same spirit that if you believe in Jesus resides in your very heart and in your mind right now as you sit here in this room. It's the same Holy Spirit. And he's working, amen? Number three. He, ta he takes the seed with division. I tried to find another D that like, but I, I just couldn't find it. So, um, but drama always follows. I was going to say drama follows depth, but that's not very good. But you can write it if you want because they both start with D. Drama always follows God moving. Drama, issues, conflict, Frustration with friends, it always comes after God's moving. Because the enemy, he'll, what he'll try and do, his number one tactic in, in the rest of your life, here's what you'll know. In your marriage, someday you're going to be married and you're going to have drama. You're going to have an issue. You're going to have a fight. You're going to have a moment. It's called relationships. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to use that conflict to divide you. Because scripture says uh, on the flip side, that God commands a blessing where there's unity. So whenever two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, there he is in the midst. God blesses where there is unity. When there's a group of people who are here for one reason, God blesses it. If there's a group of here, people here, and some are here for one reason and others are here to just do whatever they want, guess what? It is hard for God to bless that because there's division in the room. God can't, can't bless division. He can't bless division, but he can bless unity. So what he tries to do, there we go. So what he tries to do is he sows seeds of division. He sows weeds that will choke out everything around it. 
Haven't you ever noticed? Like the very moment that God starts to do something in your life is the moment that a friend hurts you or you, you ran into someone in your life that you, you hadn't seen in years. Or, or I, remember, I remember years ago at camp, this is funny, um, before Noel, I liked a girl at camp because that's what you do at camp. You, like, you find someone that you like, you know, there's the camp romance, it's how it goes. So I liked this girl and I thought she liked me a little bit and, you know, we'd been friends for a long time, we always hung out and, you know, and, and so I was, it was, it, the vibe was there, it was, it was happening, right? It was, I just knew it. There, it was only a matter of time before she came around and was like, Taylor, I've been digging you for a while. I remember uh, we had this message board, which if you don't know what a message board is, it's, uh, it's old internet, okay? And it was this camp message board. And I remember going on there and all of a sudden realizing that uh, Phil, another guy, who wasn't as cool as me, didn't have as good a personality as me, that this girl liked Phil and not me. I was so sad. And uh, I'm glad it didn't work because I married someone way better than this person. But I remember getting so jealous and so mad at Phil. Phil didn't do anything. (laughs) Phil was just a guy. And I was mad at Phil. Every time, I, it's funny because when I see him to this day, and I, I mean, he's married with kids. I saw him the other day, and I was like, bro, do you remember this? He's like, bro, that was like 15 years ago, man. Actually, it was 20 years ago. Gosh. <laughs> but hurt and gossip and wrong relationships and jealousy, what they do is they try and come in and sow division. Because they want to keep you from getting in. I, I, remember, I remember talking to my youth leader, I'm like, Man, I just don't want to, I don't want to see Phil. I don't want to be around him. He's a jerk. He's a jerk for being cuter than me. He's a jerk for having better muscles. He does. He's a beefy guy. And, um, and I remember my youth leader, he said, Taylor, this is just the enemy trying to cause division because he's afraid of what might happen if you just gave yourself to the things that God did in you at camp. You're so concerned with Phil and Whitney. You're so concerned with Phil and Whitney. And here's the deal. If you've been consumed with people other than yourself and drama going on, the enemy has you right where he wants you because you're consumed with other people's ish that you can't focus on what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. You do you. Ignore everybody else and move forward in where God is calling you because when you move forward in where God's calling you, he will do a work in your life that Whitney will want to be around. That's all I have to say about that. So how do we fight division? I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we get ready uh, to worship for a few minutes. But how do we fight division? We fight division. Hey, and listen, listen. I'm saying this because it happens every week and every year and every decade at camp. Because the enemy is always trying to destroy the seed. He's always trying to destroy the seed. 
The best thing that you can do, though, raise your hand if you've ever experienced drama with you or somebody else in your world. Great. Here's how you defeat drama. Listen, I'm going I'm to change your world right now. You fight division. Guess what? You fight division or drama with grace, forgiveness, being merciful, at times being open and honest with your friend that you have beef with. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is just be real, but be kind while you do it. Be private. Stop subtweeting people. Or giving yourself to your Snapchat that steals the juice from your soul. And you spend all of your energy on people who don't deserve it. And what God wants to do in you is destroyed because you've given all your energy elsewhere. The enemy hates you. And he wants to disrupt everything that God wants to do. He's not trying to kill you. He's just trying to get you divided. He's trying to separate you from others. He's trying to keep issues in between you. Half of the New Testament, friends, was written to churches that were dealing with this very thing. This is not a new issue. It's something that we all deal with. We all do. I'm 34 years old. I still deal with it. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants me to think that this is fatal that this is how it's going to be. He wants me to think that the people in my life who are probably a lot more for me than I think they are, are against me. So he'll plant seeds of they hate you, they're jealous of you, stay away. And what it really needs to be is go make it right. Go forgive them. Let it slide off your back and look at them through the lens of how God sees them. And what we need to do is we need to fight division by being grace-filled, by being kind, by being open, by being forgiving. Some of you got people in your world, you just need to forgive and move on. It's not your job for them to apologize. It's your job to forgive. Some of you are predicating your forgiveness on somebody else's apology. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't do that for me. That when I, I, had, I was full of sin, but he who knew sin became my sin so that I, could become the righteousness of God. That when I was dead in my sin, dead in my transgressions, that Jesus, before I ever did anything, made me alive in Christ. I'm thankful that my apology, my repentance to God, is not what made Jesus die on the cross. My repentance to God is a response to Jesus doing it whether I ever responded or not. I love that Tyler brought it up earlier. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever, that word whosoever means literally he did it as if, if there was one person or nobody or everybody responded. He did it in case they might respond. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did it before. Some of you need to forgive before they apologize. You need to love before they deserve it. You need, you need to be gracious before they are worthy of what you feel they're worthy of. Just be it, because that's what Jesus did. And we're not followers of our way, we're followers of the Jesus way. Number four, 
He takes the seed with discouragement. If the devil can't divide us, if he can't get you disillusioned, he'll just simply discourage you. Some of you are discouraged tonight. You're sad. You're hurt. Maybe you're lonely. You've lost heart. You feel like you don't have anything to give. I'll be the first to say, as a 34-year-old pastor who's married with kids and has a pretty great life, I, from time to time and in seasons, I get discouraged where I don't have anything to do. I just don't, I feel like, you ever had a moment where if you're honest, you don't even have the energy to pick up the remote control to turn the TV on? because you just feel spent and worn out. You feel hurt. You feel at the end of yourself. You feel like you're no good to anybody. You just feel worn out, you discouraged. But can I encourage you? If you feel discouraged, you know how do you fight it? You fight it with right reminders. You fight it with right reminders. When I'm discouraged, I remind myself of what God says about me. When I'm discouraged, I remind myself of what God spoke to me when I was 16 years old, what God spoke to me when I was 22 years old, what God spoke to me two weeks ago in that room right over there with somebody. I remind myself of those things. I remind myself that Philippians 1.6 says that God's not done with me. I remind myself that Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That Romans 8.38 says that God loves me no matter what. That Romans 8.31 says that God is for me, he's on my side, and nobody can be against me. I remind myself that Hebrews 13.5 says that God will never leave me or forsake me. I remind myself that Galatians 6.2 says that the community that God has placed me in is here to help me, not to hurt me. I remind myself that 1 John 5.4 says that I'm not alone, that God has given me a helper, that no matter where I am, that the Holy Spirit is with me, he's for me, he's in me, he's leading me, he's guiding me, he's protecting me, and he reminds me this is the primary role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to remind you and what John said when he wrote to the New Testament Testament he said I want you to stir yourself up by way of reminder and this is the visual I'll give you and then we got to worship is if you're a if you're a pot of stew on the stove the stove has been turned off, and the pot of stew's been sitting there. If you've ever had a soup or a stew like that, it starts to get hard on the top, and it gets curdled over, and it's stiff, and it's not liquid anymore. It's just kind of gooey and gross. But what you do is you turn on the stove, you stick the ladle in there, you start to stir it. And the more that you stir it, the more it goes back to where it was needed to be. And what you do when you remind yourself of who God says that you are, when you remind yourself of what God's word says, you're turning the stove on. And though you may have been stiff, though you may have been hardened to the things of God, though you may have been disheartened and discouraged, God can restore your soul. God can get you back to a place of peace. I don't know where you're at tonight, but maybe you just need your soul restored Maybe you need healing. Maybe you just need encouragement.
can I, can I challenge you tonight that on the other side of your willingness to lift your hands and sing to God and say, God, I'm at the end of myself, so I need your strength in my weakness. God is able to come right to where you're at and give you everything that you need. But it's on the other side of our willingness to worship and say, God, stir me. God, give me a fresh start. God, heal me. God, encourage me. God, lift my spirits. God, I need strength. God, I need energy. God, I'm worn out. God, I don't even know if you're real. But if you are, would you show up? And God says, yes, I will. Would you stand all over this room? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just right where you're at. We're gonna pray and we're gonna worship just for a few minutes here. And I wanna encourage you tonight. If you feel worn out, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like when you go home, you go to an environment that is different than here and it's hard for you to cope, it's hard for you to keep the flame burning. It's hard for you to keep going. Guess what? I understand it. But what we've got to do is we've got to stir ourselves up by way of reminder of who Jesus is, what he's doing in our lives, and that he's not giving up on us.